0: Greetings, adventure! Welcome to the D20 Academy. I'm your host, Sheloka Nishiro, and today is episode 20 Gods and Goddesses. Hey, welcome to the second episode of September. Uh, last week was uh, Monster Monday, focusing on uh, the Lich, which is one of my favorite uh, monsters in the game. If you haven't listened to that, uh, I suggest go ahead and checking that out. It does a lot of fun making, and uh, hopefully, you know, you can learn something, maybe get inspired to, um, you know, maybe put a Lich into your game. Um, Today, um I'm gonna be talking about the main topic, which is kind of religion, gods and goddesses, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons. Um I've kinda of split that up in, in into three kind of sections, uh religion in D and D, religion in your campaign, and then the pantheon. And then today I also have two uh side topics which are um you know, kinda of related to the main topic. One is role playing, uh religious characters, and the second is uh religion in world building. Um if you're someone who's kinda of designing their own campaign setting or designing their own world. Um I have you know some kind of notes on that. Um, if you uh, kind of want some updates for for the podcast, um, you know want to learn about the episodes that are coming out next week and uh, other cool things you can go ahead and follow uh, on Instagram at the D, uh, at d20 Ac- Academy podcast um, I believe uh, is the Instagram and there you can you know kind of get updates, uh, learn about what the you know that week's episodes about uh, and all that good stuff. But without further ado, uh, let's get into gods and goddesses. Okay, so first, um, we're going to be talking about kind of religion in D&D. Um, so, Dungeons & Dragons, um, is set in in a fantasy world. Um, typically, of course, you can, um, take the system and put it into, like, a sci-fi game or a survival game or whatever, um, but Dungeons & Dragons in itself is a fantasy role-playing game, uh, so therefore, it takes place in a fantasy world, um, you know, whether it's Eberron, Middle-earth, something of your own creation, uh, and of course, these worlds are based off of our world. Uh, and so we're lucky to have religion, uh, gods, goddesses, um, you know, angels, demons, all that kind of thing. That's all very wrapped up in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, it's actually one of the reasons um, kind of behind the satanic, uh, the satanic Panic in the 80s, um, you know, all, all the, the, the craziness about Dungeons and Dragons, you know, being Satanic and cultish and, and you know, all, all that kind of stuff, um, was kind of because it had, it did, you know, have in it, some aspects of, like, angels, demons, uh, religion, gods, and goddesses. Um, of course, this is... Uh, you know, I, I may actually do a future episode about the satanic panic, uh, uh, I'm not so sure, but, of course, that's all, you know, it's it's a part of the game, it's a part of fantasy worlds, that's it's how they are, uh, it, it's part of the immersion and stuff. Um, in, in, in the typical Dungeons & Dragons world, uh, gods and goddesses are similar to those in, like, Greek or Norse mythology, right, like, these powerful immortal beings who... You know, they actively shape the lives of mortals. They're human-like in their emotions, maturity, morality, um, and like paintings and stuff. They're depicted looking uh, similar to humans and such, right? So like Zeus and and Hades and Poseidon, all of them, right? In um, kind of the ancient mythological uh, religions uh, of the world, um, they were all kind of this, this these, these pantheons of gods um, who were very very human-like, and you know maybe were like siblings or or they were married, and then they could come down and, and maybe take human form or mess with people on the earth and kind of interact with them there. And that is what a lot of, uh, kind of like the classic D and D world, um, religious system is based off of a pantheon of gods. And they all kind of have their own focus and their own, you know, specialty. And they have like followers and worshipers and they, you know, they're very similar to, to, to Greek mythology. Um, kind of if you read any, any, uh, books kind of like, uh, the Iliad or the Odyssey, um, which are are great books, by the way. Uh, I'd I'd suggest reading them. Uh, that talks a lot about the gods, uh, the Greek gods, and their um, their they're like working in the lives of mortals and how you know how mortals have to appease the gods and how they interact with the gods, and all of that. Uh, that that's very much a, a a fantasy world trope. Um, so you know, play uh, sorry, no, let <laughs> say player's handbook. Um, Forgotten Realms, Eberron, all those worlds are. You know, have these pantheons of these gods with all their different domains and their different alignments, more human-like. Uh, you know, not really like super omnipotent or omniscient. Um, and so, it, it is kind of rare to find a D and D world, um, you know, a D and D campaign setting similar to the one we live in, right? On Earth, there's multiple religions and faiths. Um, you know, religion itself is questioned. No one is for sure whose gods are real, who's right and wrong. Uh, you know, whereas in D and D, it's much more like These gods are definitely real. These are the only gods. There's technically only, like, one religion, I guess. And, you know, we can pray to them, and we know they exist, and they can communicate to us, and they can come in and interact with the world and such. Um, Which is, you know, not very much like our own world, which, you know, has uh, tons of different uh, religions and belief systems um, with all these different kinds of gods and stuff. Um, Religion and faith has always been a part of Dungeons & Dragons, um, as, as I said before, uh, it's led to the typical archetype of, like, a devout cleric, you know, kind of, like, the righteous paladin, the, the crazy cultist, um, these are all kind of, uh, Dungeons & Dragons tropes, um, and it's because of, like, the religion and faith aspect of the game, um, it's also, like, fiends, right, demons and devils, they're also a very big part of, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, especially from Wizards of the Coast's own content, um, like, the World of the Forgotten Realms, very much, uh, kind of fiend focused others there's lots and there's like angels and stuff like if you look at the monster manual the fattest section in the book is is on demons and devils and all the different kinds of demons and devils um maybe the only thing maybe even that size is maybe the section on dragons um but yeah fiends are also a pretty big part of dnd um and also uh celestials i guess on the multiverse also and how the planes and all that work in dnd um also have a lot to do with religion um in in some campaign settings like gods live in certain outer planes um or kind of dictate the outer planes and um yeah i believe like the raven queen i think she lives in the shadowfell or something like that and uh you know some of the other gods live in all these other different planes um and so kind of the the multiverse and and the planes themselves also have a lot to do um with kind of religion and beliefs of 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 the characters um in your world now fifth edition in particular it segregates um gods into the different clerical domains right so if you're not aware what those are um i believe they're light life knowledge thunder um oh no like tempest i think it's called thunder or tempest um death and then there's i can't recall at this moment uh, oh yeah, nature I think is the other one, and trickery I believe. I believe those are the, the clerical domains. Um, so when you when you choose a cleric at level one, if you're if you're playing a cleric um, character, you have to choose one of those domains, and it's kind of like your subclass, kind of your 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 focus, um, which is pretty cool. So in fifth edition, they 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 uh, sep- separate gods by the domains that they fit into, and also their alignments, right? Lawful good, lawful evil, neutral, all that, um, and they do this to not only like easily organize the, uh, organize them, um, but also to help characters who play clerics to have a domain and alignment uh, that matches their god. Right, so if, uh, I'll get into this in, in a second, but it's good for new players especially. If a new player wants to play a cleric, um, you know, obviously a big part of, of playing a cleric is, is having a god that you follow um, faithfully. Choosing a god that is the domain you want to play, right, Life or Tempest, and also that is the same alignment as you, um, is a really good way to help new players figure out their, their cleric character, figure out their worldview, figure out their, uh, their, you know, their clerical domain and all that. Um, now one thing to think about is what if the, the world you're playing in the campaign setting you're playing in, what if the religion or religions, um, are, are ambiguous, right? Kind of like, kind of, kind of, kind of like our own, right? You don't actually know if, certain religion, religion itself is even true, or like certain religions are are right or wrong. Um, So, you know, you can have to take that into account when you are playing. A lot depends on the campaign setting you're playing, um, how religion works, how the gods work. If there's even gods, if there's one god, all of that, it depends on the campaign setting you're playing, obviously. Um, Also uh, a thing to think about um, is like, what if a cleric or a religious character doesn't share a domain in alignment with their god? What does that mean? How does that work? Um, and I'll get more into playing, uh, role-playing a religious character uh, later. Um, now, I have mentioned this before, but I just want to mention it again, now that we're on a similar topic. Um, what about warlock patrons? Right, so, if you've looked through the player's handbook, or you've, or you've played some uh, D&D, especially 5th edition, um, you see clerics choose gods to follow, uh, and warlocks choose patrons. What is the difference between gods and patrons? Well, a god is a celestial being, right? Uh, Maybe they had some some sort of work in creating the world or creating a particular race or creating a particular feature, or maybe they have a job in facilitating the world. Maybe they control the sun, make sure the sun is always moving. Maybe make sure, um, you know, dead souls are are ferried to the underworld, um, stuff like that. All right, gods are like Zeus, Poseidon, um, the Christian god, right? That's that's what a god is. And then a patron um, is just a powerful being that a warlock makes a deal with in exchange for their power. So clerics get power from their gods. They get divine power and, and, and magic um, from following their gods, right? They're, they're blessed with this this power. Warlocks get power from making a deal with a patron, which is a powerful, uh, powerful being of sorts. Um, I believe in the Player's Handbook, the options are the Archfey, right, which is a very powerful fey lord, um, you know, some kind of, like, a ladrin or fairy uh, fairy king or something. Um, the one is the fiend, right, maybe a demon lord or a demon lady um, or, or a very powerful, uh, like, pit fiend. And I think the other one is the great old one, which is kind of this, maybe more of like a um, kind of a, um, you know, otherworldly, un- incomprehensible being, maybe similar to like Cthulhu, Lovecraftian horror, um, kind of being, and a warlock chooses chooses a type of patron, like a particular patron, um, and that's the one that gave them their power. But there's a difference between the dynamic between a god and and a character who follows them, and a patron and a character who made a deal with them. A character who follows a god typically does it on purpose, right? It's very rare to have a cleric who follows a god that they don't um, believe in, right? Um, the god typically shares their domain and shares their alignment. The god has these tenets, these rules that they want their followers to abide by, and the cleric abides by those rules to the best of their ability, right? Um, they're, they're faithful priests and crusaders and such um, for their god. It's typically a, a conscious choice to follow this god. Um, and and the god blesses uh, the character with with divine power and stuff because they're doing their will and following their tenets. On the flip side, the dynamic between a patron and a character does not have to be so um so nice i guess um just because you made a a a pact with this patron um a deal uh, exchanging something of your own in exchange for for power doesn't mean you guys have to be on good terms doesn't mean you have to have the same same alignment or focus right um you can very much make a pact with an evil patron an evil being um but still try to play a good um character right and that can be a part of the you know the, the character's struggle and, and kind of their, their character arc is you know having to come to terms with having this power bestowed by a dark being um, who is constantly asking of them certain things in exchange for power and trying to be a good person. Um, but these patrons can be of all sorts of people. No, once again you're, if you play a warlock, your patron cannot be a god. It can be a celestial being of sorts like a very powerful angel, but it cannot be a, a god in particular that is for clerics, clerics follow gods. that works differently. Warlocks have to make uh, a pact with a, a patron, which is just a, a very very powerful being. They might be more powerful than a god, or as powerful as a god, depending on how, how your world works. But it doesn't have to be purposeful, it could have been accidental, or as a last resort that your character made this pact. You don't have to agree with or have the same alignment as your patron, um, and it just creates this totally different dynamic um, between... Uh, warlock and Patron and Cleric and God, right? These are very different dynamics, played out very differently um, thematically, and also how they work mechanically in the game uh, with spellcasting and all of that. All right, t- um, typically, you know, I'm, I've talked about clerics before, I made a, uh, um, a uh, class um, kind of focus on them, a spotlight on the cleric, and of course I'll do an, uh, on the Warlock a little bit later, when I kind of get down the line uh, to the Warlock class but clerics typically also are like good righteous people. They follow a good righteous God of like light or life fostering, you know, mercy and compassion and, you know, vanquishing uh, the darkness. And patrons, uh, warlock patrons are typically a little, maybe a little darker or more mischievous. Um, just be, warlock kind of has, you know, kind of a a dark evil connotation. Um, but you you know, as a warlock character, you don't have to necessarily be, um, darker evil. Um, but these patrons, they may be really good they may be really bad. Um, it all kind of depends. Um, but the, the relationship between them, uh, this kind of exchange, this pact is much different than someone who follows a god out of choice um, and, and you know, has like this moral obligation um, to, to do what's right or whatever their, you know, their god asks of them. So that's kind of, it's, uh, I, I have talked about this before, I think, but I just wanted to real quick talk about uh, the difference between um, gods and patrons. Um, Okay, now I'm going to get on to uh, religion in your campaign. Um, So, like I've mentioned before, and like I'll probably mention a couple more times, um, religion and the gods and all that is obviously based on your campaign setting and how it works there, right? As I've kind of mentioned, in kind of more classical Wizards of the Coast fantasy world um, campaign settings, it works uh, much like the the Greek, Norse, Roman uh, pantheons. Um, that's kind of how the gods work and all of that, um, but it depends. Right, I think now I haven't seen uh, Game of Thrones. I haven't read any of the Song of Ice and Fire um, novels, uh, so I'm uh, but so I'm not super familiar with with the content. But I believe in in Game of Thrones, the religion is I think there's just one religion. It's called like the Seven, and they believe in like these seven different gods. Um, but I think they're very much out of the the way, right? Some people don't even know if they exist. They don't have lots of influence in the world. They can't physically interact with the world or anything. Um, and that's a little more similar to to our world right now, right? Where religion is a little more ambiguous and not as straightforward and obvious um, that there's certain gods or anything, right? Um, then in Middle-earth, right, there is this whole creation story, um, this beautiful uh, story of, of the, the gods and the angels, um, that Tolkien wrote, uh, if you haven't read The Silmarillion, uh, definitely reading at least, um, the first chapter, it's a gorgeous piece of literature, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing, um, uh, basically in Middle-earth, it's very similar to, uh, the, the, the Christian, um, way of the creation of the world, with a singular god who, you know, in Middle-earth is named Iluvatar or Eru, and then he has these angels, um, which, you know, are called, you know, like the, the Valar. Anyway, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to start getting all nerdy with you about uh, Tolkien. But yeah, so that, that one is much more similar to uh, kind of the, the Christian uh, story of creation and stuff. And once again, that God, that God and, and those angels don't really interact with the world, um, you know, as actively and stuff. So religion is, is a bit more ambiguous um, in a world like Middle-earth. So it all depends, right, on the campaign setting you guys are playing in, um, what you choose. Um, even so, uh, you should decide as a group, um, how relevant religion and the gods are to your campaign. Um, one, I can't stress this enough, your game type and your playgroup preferences, excuse me, always supersede any rules or campaign setting restrictions, right? Remember that this is, Dungeons and Dragons is an open world game, role playing game. You do whatever you want. The way you want to play, the way you and your friends interact, how you guys want to play the game, that always Supersedes any game mechanical rules and any restrictions put in the campaign setting. Right. So if you're choosing to play in a certain campaign setting and you don't want to, you don't really like the way the the pantheon is and the way religion works, change it. Do whatever you want. That's the best part of Dungeons and Dragons. It's what makes it so enticing and what makes the game so endless and infinite, um, with just you know an infinite amount of possibilities, and ways to play the game. Um, so just remember that you should you should never you and your playgroup should never feel stressed at all to have to abide by rules, or, or or restrictions set upon by the campaign setting, or anything like that. You guys always talk with each other, figure out what you guys want, figure out the, the way that you guys play best so you can have the most fun, okay? Um, so real quick, uh, just some notes for, for any dungeon masters uh, listening. Um, it is likely that one of your players is, is, is playing a cleric, or if you haven't started your campaign yet is going to play a cleric, um, or or a class similar, um, which, you know, depends mechanically and thematically on following a particular god. Uh, as I talked about, uh, just a second ago, clerics do depend on following a, a specific god or, like, tight group of gods. Um, it's how they function mechanically, um, with the class features and such, and also thematically, obviously, their character is based around this, this, this god that they follow. Um, if you don't have someone playing like that, you might also have a player who, whose character is just religious. Um, doesn't mean they have a class which depends on this factor. Um, they could be a rogue, a fighter, a barbarian. Doesn't matter. They have no mechanical, um, um, you know, need for, for following a particular god or whatever. But the characters themselves are just just religious, right? Um, which is totally okay and, and should be encouraged. You don't think, you know, you shouldn't feel like you can't play like a religious uh, god-following character just because you're not a cleric or a paladin, Right um, that's, that's not how, how, how it works, um, e- even in, like, the the D&D world, where there's so many, like, clerics and, and priests and stuff, there's civil, regular civilians who, who don't have religious duties, who still can, you know, can follow gods and stuff, so if, uh, you are a, a player and you're, um, uh, you know, you're playing, um, a character who is not a cleric or someone who mechanically needs to be following a god, um, I encourage you, try, like, fall like, see make your character follow a god make your character religious it can be really interesting um real quick uh if, if you know what critical role is i talk about critical role um um uh, you know somewhat often on this podcast just because i think that show is a perfect example of uh, so many um <laughs> so many reasons um why the game is amazing and is a really really good example of great players a great dm uh, and you can really learn a lot um from from watching the show uh, one of the, the the interesting kind of very, very sub subplots uh, is one of the characters, he's he's a, a half-elf rogue. He has no um, religious background or anything. He doesn't mechanically require um, a god for his features and all that stuff to make sense. Um, but the character, over time, kind of tries to pick up this religion of, of a character who does play a cleric and kind of wants to learn about the god and learn about... Um, um, the religion and slowly starts to kind of gain this new worldview and gain this new faith um throughout uh the campaign which is is, is a really interesting uh subplot uh it, it's, it's it's really um it's really it's it's quite quite good um uh once again if you don't watch critical Role, go watch critical roll um it will it's going to be the best thing you've ever seen um so that is an example of a character who is you know not mechanically required to follow a god um, but just does so um because the player thinks the character would benefit from it and it, it helps with the character's arc and stuff. Um definitely because the god that he's trying to find out about and learn about is this kind of beacon of light and and, you know, compassion and mercy and those are kind of the tenets. And the character was kinda of going down this dark, depressing path. Um so it was it's it's just it's a great show. That was um yeah, so that's just kind of an example of um playing a character, um, you know, who is religious but may not require mechanically. And if you're DM, you probably have a character like that, right? Either someone who needs to be religious or someone who has chosen to be religious. Um, so you have to figure out the god's relationship with these players, right? Once again, depends on the campaign setting, how it all works. But, you know, figure like, do they appear in, in mortal form and talk um, to the character? Do they send messages? Do they show signs, forebodings? Um, do they only start caring when the character starts getting more powerful? Um, you know, do they only start noticing? Uh, when a character is starting to, to really follow their tenets and show themselves to be true heroes or, or you know, something like that. Uh, once again, it depends on the campaign setting. I'm going to say it like a thousand times in this episode because it really does. Um, but, you know, just kind of think about, in the same way when one when, when of your players is playing a warlock, you have to, f- you know, think about what is the relationship with the patron? How does that work? This patron has to kind of be a character now, and you have to figure out the relationship and, you know, build stories around that and stuff. Same with a the cleric. They're following a god, or any religious character, right? How does that god interact with them, if, if at all? How, do, how, how is the relationship, right? How, how does that all work and, and, and function? Uh, and it can be really fun um, for both the DM and the player. And as, as, as a DM, it can, you know, give you lots of inspiration and help you add more story hooks and adventures um, because of all that. Um, just real quick, make sure you guys talk, uh, as a DM, make sure you talk with your playgroup um, about religion and its part in your game, right? Um, Religion and faith are real things in the real world, and you want to make sure everyone is comfortable with how it is presented and used, right? Um, If you as a player, you as a DM, if you have problems with how religion is being presented or used uh, in your playgroup, in your campaign, uh, make sure you voice your concerns, right? Um, The point of Dungeons Dragons is fun, right? Everyone should be having fun, everyone should be enjoying themselves, and if uh, maybe something to do with how religion or the gods or whatever or, or priests or whatever are, are portrayed in your game is making you uncomfortable. Make sure you, you know, your voice your concerns so your playgroup can change things and make sure it's comfortable for everyone uh, in the playgroup so that everyone can enjoy themselves and have fun. Right. This is this is obviously the same with, uh, you know, tons of other things. Make sure if something's making you uncomfortable that you, um, you know, can talk it out with with your friends, talk it out with the people you're playing with um, so that you guys can can figure it out together. And make sure that no one is uncomfortable or, you know, no one is getting offended or whatever. Um, So you guys can just enjoy your game, right? Nobody else is experiencing this game except you guys, right? Um, In the rare case that, like, you're you're streaming it or putting it up on YouTube, um, only you guys are experiencing this thing. So you don't have to worry about, you know, the masses, uh, you know, any other people, like, making fun of you or whatever or, or, you know, criticizing you because maybe you were getting offended or you're feeling uncomfortable because of a thing. It's just you and your friends. So make sure you you know you voice your concerns if if something about religion or any part of your game right is making you uncomfortable just real quick wanted to to explain that um and now let's uh let's get on to uh, the pantheon so as i've talked about before um the typical d D&D campaign setting right forgotten realms everon all that um has an array of gods right they have names domains alignments tenets etc um so these gods make up that world's pantheon so i've used that word a couple uh, word a couple times here um so if you're kind of confused uh, what that was. A pantheon is like the collection of gods, um, in, in your world. Um, so for example, like the Greek pantheon is like Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, Athena, Hera, right? You know, like the, the, the Greek God, the, 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 the ones who live on, uh, you know, Mount Olympus and stuff. That's kind of the, the Greek pantheon. So, um, most, most, uh, d and campaigns, uh, campaign settings that I've explained are similar to kind of Greek, uh, Norse Roman mythology. And so they have uh, a pantheon. Um, While a lot, once again, depends on your campaign setting, um, here's some things to think about um, about the Pantheon. Um, What are the relations between the gods? Is there a conflict in the Pantheon? Is there multiple conflicts? Um, How long have these conflicts been going on? Um, How will these conflicts be resolved? How can these conflicts be resolved? Who's involved in the conflicts? Um, within the gods in the pantheon, are there varying power levels? Is everyone equal in power? Are some more powerful than others? Right, in the Roman one, uh, Zeus is the, the king of the gods. He has the most power. And second to him are Poseidon and Hades. They also have considerable amounts of power, uh, much more than gods like Hermes or Dionysus or something like that. Um, are the gods in the pantheon related? Um, maybe they're siblings, maybe they're spouses, uh, maybe not at all. Um, how does there being multiple gods affect the world? Right, so so something to think about always uh, when you're when you're running uh, a campaign uh, in your D and D campaign. It doesn't matter if you have one god, multiple gods, ambiguous religions, whatever. The everything about the game, even beyond religion, even talk just any really any topic about the game, it all comes down to how does it impact and change the world of the characters right? The game follows the player characters, follows their adventures, follows their stories, their their personal arcs, um, their friends, their enemies, their battles, their wins, their losses. So everything you think about in the game, especially religion and the gods, you have to think about it in the sense, how does this impact them? How does this impact the world that they live in? How does this impact their experiences? Um, because, it always comes back to them. That's what the story follows. That's what D&D is about. So you always want to make sure um, when, you're, when you're playing these things, thinking about these questions, don't get off track. Don't get super deep. All you have to figure out is, you know, think about all oh, these. There's conflicts in the pan- pantheon. They all have different varying power levels. There are, these ones are married. These ones are siblings. How does this affect the world? How does this affect the party's experiences, their adventures, their stories? Okay? Um, so this first of all, means that as a DM, you don't have to do as much planning um, or as world building as, as you thought you might have to. Um, but it's just you always want to make sure that that's the forefront focus in your mind. Um, whenever you're planning about anything, uh, whenever you are um, thinking about a- a- you know any part of the game, the multiverse, the gods, whatever. It's always how does it you know impact the world and interact with the world that the party is living in, that the party is experiencing? Now, I'll get more into designing gods into Pantheon later um, in the episode, um, but just keep these things in mind. Um, also, <clears throat> having gods look over different domains or alignments uh, can be really useful in setting up factions and followers in the mortal, mortal world, right? So, if you look at something like the Forgotten Realms, um, if you look at a god whose domain is maybe uh, war and they're, uh, you know, they lawful evil. Followers of this god um, are typically going to be lawful evil and oriented towards battle. If you have a god um, who has the domain of nature and is lawful good, the characters who follow them, the NPCs, the PCs, whatever, are typically going to be lawful good, right, and focused on nature, nurturing it, protecting it, um, stuff like that, right? So, because 5th edition has, you know, helpfully uh, segregated the gods and all that stuff into domain and uh, alignment, it makes it really easy to figure out what these gods' followers are up to and what they're doing and what their goals might be, right? Um, if you have a, a world with a pantheon, like the Forgotten Realms or, you know, like, like the Greek Pantheon, you're going to have these different groups of, of, of people who follow the different gods. And what are their goals? How do they get to those goals, right? At all... It, it's very easy to figure those out by just looking at the God's domain and their alignment, right? It you know, helps dictate the focus of the, of the followers, um, how they see the world, how they'll treat people, how they treat nature, how they treat life, how they treat death is, is very dependent on the God's alignment and the domain. And so having those two things is, is very, uh, it makes it much easier for, for a DM and, and, and a player to figure out, um, how characters, uh, you know, religious characters work, and how how they see the world, and how they act, and and all of that, um, now this even goes beyond, in, in, if you're, you know, one of those play groups who doesn't use Alignment, um, that's totally fine, uh, if you want to learn more about Alignment, and if you should use Alignment or not in your campaign, um, I do have an episode called the Alignment Deep Dive, um, that, that I recorded, uh, earlier on uh, in the podcast, so go listen to that if you, if you haven't already, um, but even if, if you're, you're, you're someone who's playing a campaign that does not use alignment, um, you know, you you want to still figure out some sort of way to show the morality or, or be able to um, kind of mark down the way they view the world and, and kind of the choices they'll make. Um, it's just alignment is just a much easier and simple way of figuring this out. But if you don't use alignment or you don't like it, you can figure out um, another way to kind of, you know, help section off these gods and kinda organize them and then also figure out what what their followers do. Okay, so that was the um that was that was the main topic there, talking about religion, gods and goddesses, um, in Dungeons and Dragons and your campaign and all that. Um so now we're gonna get on to our first side topic, which is about role playing a religious character. Okay, so playing a religious character in Dungeons and Dragons uh it can be really fun and, and interesting uh and this also can be really helpful in defining your character's worldview and alignment um which I've talked about uh you know someone in, in this episode um i myself uh, as 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 i've explained uh, i am not uh typically a player uh character i i've spent most of my my dungeons and dragons experience um as a dungeon master um you know i i love being dungeon master um but but i have played uh as 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 a player character a couple times Uh, And I've only played one character who is religious. I I played a a cleric uh, named Atticus Atticus Turner, I believe. Um, And he was a, I think he followed, he was more of like a lawful good character, um, followed a god who who fosters, um, you know, peace, sacrifice, mercy, compassion. Um, And it's just, it's it's a really fun and interesting dynamic, kind of having this external influence uh, on your character. Um, and also just for new players and stuff, it's just much, it's such an easy way to help define your worldview and alignment and keep your character consistent, right? One thing that that's really hard, um, as, as a player in Dungeons and Dragons is playing a consistent character, right? Um, now this doesn't mean that you can never change or have a character arc. Of course, um, that's a really integral part of, of the game and a part of story, um, but you still have to play a consistent character with a consistent personality and, you know, making, making choices that make sense to the character. Um, and it can be kind of hard. It, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds uh, in a role-playing game um, and in Dungeons & Dragons. But a really easy way um, to help you uh, um, figure out how your character sees the world and how they might act is by having a god, having someone they follow, who already has these laid-down tenets and rules um, that their followers should abide by. So when you already follow a god who has all these rules or whatever, uh, has their own worldview and and uh, and, and th- this this set of things that uh, their followers should do while on the wor- uh, while in, you know living while in the world, then that is what you are going to want to do, and that is how you're going to see the world as a follower of that god. So as a new player, especially like like a cleric who, who you know has to follow a god, um, that's that that's super interesting, uh, and and that can be uh, you know really helpful and and. Help your character keep consistency, and definitely, if you're playing a character who is not similar to you or does not share the same worldview or morality as you, um, having these kind of tenets and rules already laid down um, by just the god that you've chosen to follow um, can really help um, in in role playing you know, a religious character. Um, but once again, as I've stated one thousand times in this episode, a lot depends on your campaign setting uh, and, and how religion works. Now, I've made a list of about twenty uh, questions. And I'm going to go through real quick here um, that you should ask yourself uh, that you should find answers to um, if you're playing a role, uh, you know, playing a religious character. Okay. Why are you religious? Why do you follow who you follow? Why that God and not any others? Do you agree with everything your God agrees with? Do you follow their tenets and rules completely? Do you share an alignment with your God? How do your religious beliefs shape the way you see the world? How has your religious beliefs affected your past? How do your religious beliefs affect the present? How do your religious beliefs affect the future? How high up is your God in your priorities? How high up is religion itself in your priorities? How, quote-unquote, religious is your character? And that's in reference to, like, rites, traditions, sacrifices, prayers, um, those kinds of things. How much do you respect your God? How much do you respect other gods? How do you feel such react when someone disrespects your God? What would make you stop following your God? Do you push your faith onto other people? Are you more of a priest, apostle, or crusader? So those are some questions you might ask yourself when you're figuring out, uh, uh, you know, a character, uh, definitely if you're playing a religious character, right? Uh, um, specifically, like someone like a cleric. Um, obviously, you don't have to answer all of these or whatever, but, you know, this should put some ideas in your head and pose some questions for you um, that if you would answer a lot of them, or, or, or all of them, would really help define your character's worldview and really make your character super consistent and authentic and realistic. Um, now this rule applies to many things um, when, you, when you're playing a, a D&D uh, character. Um, just ask yourself, just keep asking yourself questions. Choose something about your character, the god they follow, someone in their backstory, um, their fighting technique, or whatever. And just ask just ask questions figure out questions and then answer them um right like, like the ones i've listed here um if, if you're someone who follows a god and that can really just help um really get the creative juices flowing uh and really just help uh flesh out your character and make them interesting and authentic um i do want to point out a couple of key questions i i, I want to repeat here um one of them being do you share an alignment with your god now i've talked about right um how how gods have their own domain and alignment and typically the followers have have the same domain alignment. Um, if you're a cleric, you do have to th- have the same domain as your god, um, otherwise it really doesn't make sense thematically. If you're following a god of life, and your domain is death, and so you're getting these access to these death powers, and you're following a god of life, and that doesn't make sense. Um, <clears throat> but you don't necessarily have to share an alignment with your god. And this kind of searches out to other questions uh, in the list, or some questions that you may have thought of on your own uh, while listening to the list, right? Do you agree with everything that your, your God agrees with, right? Do you share their same world of view? And do you, do? You, will you do all the tenets and, and follow the rules that they ask you to as a follower of them, right? Because there's a big difference between being a kind good character that follows a lawful good God. This is a really interesting dynamic. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenging one, and it's one you have to figure out um, a, as a character. Um, but when you have a different alignment than your God, uh, it can be really interesting. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things where... You really like the gist of the God, you probably like what they're going for, and you know, like most of what they're saying, but you don't agree with everything. And so, how does that affect your character, and how does that affect their faith? Um, so, th- so, that's kind of an interesting question. Um, another one I wanted to point out is um, what would make you stop following your God? This is a really powerful and, and, and really interesting question to, to, ask, to ask, right? If you're someone who, if you're a cleric or like a character who follows a God what could possibly happen? You learn information, an event happens, something something changes in your character, that would make you stop following your god. Because once you f- figure this out, then you can much f- more, you know, figure out why you follow that god, right? If you can figure out what would make you stop following that god, that better helps you understand um, why you are following that god. And if you figure out what makes you stop following that God, what could make you stop following that God, and don't, can't really think of anything that would make you fall that God. Maybe you've chosen the wrong God, or maybe you just have to think a little more, right? So I think that's a really interesting ca- uh, question, and it also could plant a seed um, in your your, your your character arc, and something for your character. Maybe they're a little questioning about their God, and maybe there's still some mystery there that they don't fully agree with, and, uh, you know, maybe when something happens, or this, this thing happens, um, you might turn away from your God and and stop following them, uh, which is a really interesting uh, a character point uh, and could be really cool. Um, the third question I want to kind of focus in is: uh, Are you more of a priest, apostle, or crusader? So if if you're not at all kind of in like religious circles or understand uh, kind of what those words mean, um, a priest is more um, someone kind of look like a pastor, someone who fosters the religion and typically like a, you know maybe like lives in the church or is always uh, by the church and. Uh, you know, kind of, they, basically, they affect other people who also follow the same religion. They help strengthen their faith. They help lead them in prayers and lead them in in rituals or whatever. That's kind of like a priest. And then there's apostles, their goal is to bring their religion to people who do not follow the religion. So priests, um, priests work with people who are in the same religion. Apostles work with people who are not in the same religion so they can spread their faith to others. And then a crusader is someone who um, typically fights for, um, or goes out for and does goals and, and, and completes, um, uh, missions, um, for their, their God, um, which, you know, are not goals that include getting other people to join the religion, right? That's kind of more of an apostle's job. Um, so kind of think about maybe where does your character kind of fall? Um, typically if you're a d adventure, you're probably falling someone, something like a crusader, um, uh, or maybe, maybe, maybe like, uh, an apostle, in the the, uh, the second campaign in Critical Role, uh, once again, go watch that show um, if you love yourself. <laughs> um, one of the characters uh, named Jester, uh, she's a follower of this mischievous god named the Traveler, and everywhere she goes, she's always uh, trying to get people to, to follow the Traveler and to join her religion. Uh, she's not very good at it, um, but either way, she she's always trying to get people to follow uh, her god, the Traveler. Um, so that's kind of more of an apostle character, um, where someone who goes out and fights uh, for their god, right? Definitely if, like, the god is, like, you know, keep the darkness away, fight demons and stuff, uh, a crusader is, is a character who typically goes out and would follow this, right, go out, fight back dark forces, fight demons and devils and stuff, um, and, yeah, okay, so that's kind of just some things about, um, playing a religious character, role-playing a religious character, some questions to think about when, when, when world building, uh, and, and all that, so hopefully, uh, that helped, and now I'm going to get on to the final topic, uh, uh, the second side topic, religion in world building, so I've talked all about how religion and the Pantheon and all that, uh, depend on your campaign setting, but what if you're the one making it? Um, so I'm kind of going to be doing these, uh, typically at the end of, of most of my episodes, um, where it makes sense. I'm going to be talking about, you know, the main topic that I talked about, and then I'm going to talk about how to put it into world build, right? If you're someone who's building a world, um, most likely if you're, you a dungeon master, or a D&D player who, who's building their own campaign setting, or maybe you just are a writer uh, or just someone who wants to build a world. Uh, maybe you're an artist. Um, so I, I want to be able to focus on these different aspects of world building um, as, as I kind of go go along. And since this episode is all about religion, gods and goddesses, um, I'll kind of give a brief rundown of um, some things to think about uh, if you are world building and how religion fits in, into world building. Um, now, religion and the you know, the Pantheon, should be one of the first things you consider in world building because it is, for the most part, directly tied to the origin and history of your world, right? Typically, the creation story of your world and and how, how the past has been influenced and all that solely depends on your religion and your gods and, and all of that, right? Um, if you look at anything like like Greek mythology, Egyptian mythology, uh, all the creation of the world and, and all these different events in the history of the world, all are tied back to the gods, and their relationships and their interaction uh, with the universe and and all of that. So religions are going to be one of the first things uh, you want to think about uh, because it is directly tied to the creation of your world, the origin of your world and how it all works. Um, it, It can be good also to find a religion to kind of base your own off of. Um, You know, is it more of a classic pantheon like the Forgotten Realms or or the Greek pantheon? Uh, Is it more monotheistic and similar to the Christian faith or or that in in Tolkien's Middle Earth work? Um, Does it pull inspiration from real and fake religions and have things like reincarnation, indulgences, mortal ascension to godhood, immortality, xenophobia, all of those, you know, different things. You can pull from from different religions, real life or fictional, to kind of get some inspiration. Also. I've talked about kind of pantheons and stuff. Creating a lot of gods can be overwhelming and is not required, right? Um, So one of the things I did with, with the first world I built um, that that I've been playing my two-and-a-half-year campaign in, I made kind of these, like, six primary gods and then about ten secondary gods and then, like, a gazillion, like, these lesser gods who were, like, super specific, like, gods of birds and gods of coins and stuff, um, which I don't think I should have, uh, uh, now thinking back on it, I made way too many gods and it, it took away from kind of the experience. and made it way more confusing for the players and stuff. Um, having just a couple gods or even just one can really help simplify the religion and, and the world and allow you more time to flesh out each god and their tenets. right? So if you take some, something like, like, like Greek mythology, um, yes, there are those who live on Mount Olympus, the main Greek pantheon, but then there's actually tons of other gods, Um, of all different kinds, lesser gods, demigods, uh, in mythology. And don't feel stressed to have to build out all that stuff. Just build the ones on Mount Olympus, right? Zeus, Hera, Poseidon, focus on those, flesh them out, make them interesting. And so that just makes it easier on the players, less gods to remember, and just really helps specify things and makes the story much more uh, intriguing and interesting. Okay, so real quick, some questions to ask yourself. while world building uh, and using religion and world building. Um, how many gods? How powerful are the gods? What are the gods' relationships with one another? What are the gods' relationship with mortals? How involved are the gods in the mortal world? How common are divine slash god-induced occurrences? What domains do your gods fall under? How moral are your gods? What does it mean to be a follower of a god? What does it mean to have divine power and or spellcasting? How are the gods connected to the world's origin? Why are people in your world religious? What does it mean for people in your world to be religious? How do gods communicate with one another and or the mortal mortal world? Can your gods die? How? Can they be resurrected? How? Did the gods create the world or certain aspects in it? Or do they run certain aspects of it? How ambiguous and mysterious are the gods to the mortal world? What is the god's interactions with the multiverse and other planes? So again that's a list of about 20 questions just to kind of kind of get the creative juices flowing, uh, some things you might want to answer uh, when when designing religion a- and kind of the, the pantheon or whatever uh, in, in your world in the campaign setting uh, you are building. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I had a lot of fun making this episode, and hopefully you had a lot of fun listening to it. Hopefully you got inspired. Hopefully uh, you learned a lot, uh, and you know get excited for for that next session or planning uh, for that campaign that uh, that you've been wanting to play. Um, once again, uh, for more updates and, and interesting stuff, you can uh, follow uh, the podcast at D20 Academy Podcast uh, on Instagram. Uh, and also, um, I usually can't say what uh, next week's episode is going to be uh, just because a lot of things are changing and I have to work, you know, switch some things around and all that stuff uh, to make sure um, I can fit uh, these podcasts in, into, into my regular life. Uh, but I, I can say that next week, Tuesday, um, is going to be the class spotlight on the druid. Um, I did. I think I've done three class spotlights so far in, in the podcast. Um, they're a lot of fun. Um, I talk about, um, you know, the class and their 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 place in Dungeons and Dragons, kind of their origin in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I talk about, um, you know, some of their abilities, some key features. I don't go super rules or or you know, kind of numbers intensive. Uh, that's up up to you to to search further. Um, but I really focus on playing, uh, this kind of class, what kind of players would like playing this class, uh, and all of that. Um, it's a lot of fun to make, and, uh, uh, I think it helps a lot of people, so next week is going to be a class spotlight on, on the Druid, which I'm really excited for. Um, once again, thank you so much for listening, uh, and I hope you have a great day.